0: A Department of Defense briefing to Congress this week was supposed to reassure the American public that the military is making progress and sharing what it knows about Unidentified Aerial Phenomena, UAP. But it actually raised deeper doubts about whether Congress and the Pentagon are even remotely on the same page. All this and more in today's Spectral Skull Session. Stay tuned.
1: You are listening to the Spectral Skull Session, tales from the twilight world of myth, mystery, and imagination. The idea behind this podcast is that we explore claims about the occult, supernatural, and paranormal from an analytical standpoint. We're open to the existence of a world beyond the five senses, and we dismiss that dogmatic skepticism that insists that any story about the unexplained has to reduce to hallucinations, or swamp casts, but we're not committed to any particular theory or philosophy about what the paranormal is, and we realize that, whatever is out there, the answer is likely to be more complicated than any existing model or theory. What we bring to the table is small-s skepticism, a skepticism that we throw as much on the mainstream accounts as we do on the supernatural story. Okay, let's get started.
0: Welcome back. I'm your host, Dane. Uh, major updates that need to be said. I am no longer operating out of the independent Republic of Georgia. I cut my time there short by at least three months, probably a year, because I was uncomfortable with the war in Ukraine. I felt that the spillover effects were growing and likely to continue to grow, and I figured it was a good time for me to make an exit. So I'm back in the United States, and I'm in my home state of Missouri. I'm pretty disappointed for anyone who's listened to that episode, um, Mysterious Georgia. There were a whole bunch of mysteries in Georgia that I think I was the only one who had glommed onto, and so those mysteries are going to go unexplored for the time being. I guess I could go back, and uh, I think I'm still welcome in the country. They didn't tell me not to return or anything when I left. I worked there for a year. I paid my taxes, 15% income taxes and um obeyed the law didn't have a single run-in with the police the entire time i was there and i don't see any reason why i couldn't go back but um it's expensive i can't just keep bouncing around the planet so for now i'm in the u.s with plans to uh, we'll see what's gonna happen from here i guess i also just wanted to say this is going to be a real light episode and the reason is i've noticed looking at the numbers for this show when i do these timely episodes or we cover an event that's happening. In space-time, recently, recent history, recent events, people don't seem as interested. But it's important, and I have to cover it. So on to this uh, UAP situation, when uh, Kirsten Gillibrand finally introduced an amendment to the National Defense Authorization Act last year, compelling them to create a new UAP task force. We were all hoping that we were starting to push the Pentagon down the road to disclosure to being more open and forthcoming about what they know about UAPs that is unidentified aerial phenomena that are in our airspace and harassing our military personnel. As we have learned most recently from people like Gary Nolan at Stanford, and as Kirsten Gillibrand worked into her amendment, these things have adverse physiological effects on the people who have close encounters with them. But let's get to the basics of this report right away. On Tuesday, May 17th, the House Select Intelligence Committee Subcommittee on Counterterrorism, Counterintelligence, and Counterproliferation met to receive a briefing from the Department of Defense. There were two portions of that briefing, open and closed. Only the open part was available to me. I do not have the security clearance to attend closed sessions of Congress at this time. At the meeting... The Honorable Ronald Moultrie, Undersecretary of Defense for Intelligence and Security, represented the newly created Airborne Object Identification Management and Synchronization Group, called AIMSOG. He was also accompanied by Scott Bray, Deputy Director of Naval Intelligence, who spoke about the Navy's ongoing investigations into the UAP phenomena. The Navy's been looking into this stuff a little bit longer than the rest of the military, and so... Um, actually the NDAA from last year folded the naval operation into Amesog. So I I think Scott Bray was there as like a sidekick for Ronald Moultrie that now he's been folded into Amesog. but they were very unclear. It was not a well set up briefing. They didn't really explain why those guys were there or what was going on. Andre Carson, who is the chair of the committee, Andre Carson is representative from Indiana, Democratic congressman, and he set up the committee and served as the chair, and he said, this is an opportunity for AIMSOG to come out of the shadows, and uh, we're looking forward to hearing them explain how they're going to be more, for- more forthcoming about what they know about these UAPs, they being the Department of Defense. And I believe that we were pretty much let down entirely they did tell us, look, it's really hard to do what you're asking us to do. We're doing all this intelligence collection now. We're standardizing the process and the procedures. We have uh, formal ways for pilots to report what they've seen. We actually wrote it on their kneeboards. So when pilots fly, they have a thing called a kneeboard that has a list of instructions for what to do if different things come up. And often, you know, you have enough time in a crisis to go through your Your checklist and be like, oh, well, this situation, I'm supposed to do X, Y, or Z. So um, they actually put some UAP protocols onto their kneeboards for the naval pilots and um, Air Force pilots. And they have debriefing procedures now for when you see a UAP. And then Scott Bray said, you know, he's actually spoken to senior aviators. They've called him on apparently some kind of hotline he's running. I guess he's personally staffing this hotline. And you call them up and tell them about the UAP you saw, if you're a high enough rank. It was very nebulous, didn't feel like we were getting much detail. They talked a lot about how they're progressing from uh, antidotal and narrative style collection to engineering, data-driven, science-based process. But they really didn't give us any details about what exactly that process consists in. Now, they're obligated to come up with a science plan, according to the NDAA from last year. They didn't say anything about the science plan. The word science plan never occurred, didn't come up out of the Congress or out of the Department of Defense. And um, overall, like I said, I felt like it was a pretty disappointing meeting. I want to zero in on a couple things. First of all, it seemed to me like they were setting us up for ongoing disappointment. They showed two videos of UAP sightings, one of which they had not explained, but Scott Bray said, Well, this video, all they have is a couple shots from a camera phone and look at how blurry it is. And, well, we can't figure anything out from that. And it shows you what we're up against with a lot of these reports. Then he went on to another sighting, an incident where they had a triangle, triangle triangle-shaped UAPs floating around. And he said, well, these triangle-shaped UAPs had us stumped for about a year. But eventually we figured out, That they're an artifact caused by combining night vision goggles with SLR cameras. I don't really know what SLR cameras are. It stands for single lens reflex. Again, I don't know what that is. If you do, please send me an email. combination of these uh, two devices leads to an artifact where small unmanned aerial vehicles appear as larger triangles or polygons. And he said... Took us a couple of years to figure this out. You have to combine two pieces of equipment specially to get this result. And so he said, Well, that's part of why it takes us so much time to resolve these UAPs. They specifically asked him, Do you have any evidence that these things are extraterrestrial? And he said, No, no evidence of anything's extraterrestrial. Ronald Moultrie uh, reinforced that. They also asked, Do you have any captured material that may be from another planet? And again, they said, No. Although, Ronald Moultrie, he said, we have had some metallurgists working. Well, why would you have a metallurgist working with you if you didn't have metal to study? I thought that was mysterious. And then um, I think the biggest thing that came out for me was that Ronald Moultrie volunteered that they're very interested in some of the phenomena they've been seeing underwater. Then later, when Congress asked him another question about underwater UFOs, He said, I'd like to talk about that in closed session, suggesting to me that they do have some really interesting phenomena that they're looking at. And the last thing we have to cover before we get to the really good stuff, they both, Moultrie and Bray, emphasized, we're not going to tell you everything we know. I'm going to have to read you a quote on this because it blew my mind. Moultrie said, the department is fully committed to the principle of openness and accountability to the American people. However, we are also mindful of our obligation to protect sensitive sources and methods. Our goal is to strike that delicate balance that allows us to maintain the public's trust while preserving those capabilities that are vital to the support of our service personnel. End quote. So he said he's committed to being transparent and then in the next breath said, I'm not going to be transparent at all. I'm not going to tell you about anything that might reveal sources and methods that could potentially endanger our service personnel. Bray said pretty much the same thing, quote, Given the nature of our business, national defense, we've had to sometimes be less forthcoming with information in open forums than many would hope. If UAP do indeed represent a potential threat to our security, then the capabilities, systems, processes, and sources we use to observe, record, study, or analyze these phenomena need to be classified at appropriate levels. We do not want, we do not want, potential adversaries to know exactly what we're able to see or understand or how we've come to the conclusions we make. Therefore, public disclosures must be carefully considered on a case-by-case basis. End quote. Now, I, I, I hear him saying, we don't want the enemies to know what we know. Suppose, for example, a particular category of UAP is discovered to be a Chinese secret drone, very advanced, and it's operating inside our airspace. The military may not want the Chinese to know exactly how well we've analyzed that drone and its capabilities. They may want to keep it a secret so that, say, in the event of a war, Chinese think, oh, it's time to Unload our Wunderwaffen, our secret weapon, and defeat the Americans. And then, to their surprise, we have a countermeasure. They did not anticipate. We shoot their drones out of the sky. And then Xi Jinping turns to his second in command and says, My God, we are thwarted. We must sue for peace. And the war ends with American victory. I think that's the kind of thing that these guys are thinking about. And um, I'm making fun of it. But I also think there's some there's something to be said for this. In America, we do have this process of maintaining military secrets because we don't want the enemy to know exactly what our capabilities are. And that includes intelligence collection and analysis, our sensor systems and what our sensor systems can do. So... I don't know. It's a, it's a difficult situation to be in. And um, I'm going to fall back on a psychiatrist that I'm a big fan of, Jordan Peterson, who said, um, you know, that the world is organized into hierarchies for a reason. They're hierarchies of competence for the most part, which means that the people who have more authority than you tend to have more authority than you because they actually do know what they're doing. And um, we get frustrated because any political system is going to be inefficient. Nevertheless, there are reasons why the higher ups do what they do. Boy, it sounds like I'm co-towing for the U.S. military, but I'm really just trying to be respectful of what I believe is their job. They're doing their job. They're professionals, and we do have an elaborate system of managing information. I believe that system's being abused in some cases. Like, you may note that the uh, the information about the assassination of John F. Kennedy remains classified. We still haven't gotten that. But that's a conversation for another episode. For the most part, I think we have to respect that these military guys are professionals. They're not elected officials who answer to the people, but they do answer to the military hierarchy, which exists for a reason and does serve a purpose. So, point taken, man. But there was a testy exchange at the end of this hearing that I thought was very interesting. And I want to just play for you the uh, full exchange of, This was a congressman who sits on that committee. He is Republican Mike Gallagher from Wisconsin. He got a little uh, angered, close to being, close to being impatient, but he did end up respectful. Let's just roll that clip and then we're going to unpack it. Gentleman Yields Back, Mr. Gallagher.
2: Thank you, Mr. Chairman. Thank you for allowing me to join this hearing. Um, I really appreciate uh, the witnesses' testimony, um, Mr. Moultrie, As the chairman uh, mentioned, uh, DoD had an initiative to study UFOs in the 1960s called Project Blue Book. It's also been well reported in our briefing and in in other places. That we have more have more recent projects, specifically uh, A Tip. Could you describe any other initiatives that the DoD or DoD contractors? have managed after Project Blue Book ended and prior to ATIP beginning? Did anything also predate Project Blue Book?
3: So I, I, I can't speak to what may have predated um, Project Blue Book. I mean, of course, there's Roswell and all these other things that people have talked about over the years. Um, I'm familiar with Blue Book. I'm familiar with, uh, with ATIP. Uh, I haven't seen other documented uh, studies that have been done by DOD in that regard. So you're not aware of anything in between
2: Project Blue Book and ATIP?
3: Not aware of anything that's uh, official that was done in between those two. It hasn't been uh, brought to my attention.
2: Okay. Uh, Additionally, are you aware of any other DOD or DOD contract programs focused on UAPs from a technological engineering perspective? And by that, I mean, are you aware of any technology initiatives focused on this topic other than initiatives focused on the individual case investigations?
3: I'm not aware of any contractual programs that are focused on uh, any, uh, anything related to this other than what we are doing in the Navy Task Force and what we are about to launch in terms of our effort.
2: Uh, same question for you, Mr. Bray. Uh, same answer, not aware of anything outside what we uh, are doing in the UAP Task Force. So just to confirm, you're not aware of any technology or engineering resources that have been focused on these efforts besides what we've mentioned today?
3: Once again, I'll say no contractual. uh, Or uh, programmatic uh, efforts that are involved. The reason why I I qualify that way, yeah, let me qualify it that way. I I can't speak to what people may be looking at in the department. Somebody says, "I'm looking at something." I'm looking at something that may be unidentified, and I I can't speak to that. Speak to official programs that we have on the record. It's also been reported
2: uh, that there have been UAP observed uh, and interacting with and flying over sensitive military facilities, and not just ranges, but uh, some facilities housing our strategic nuclear forces. Uh, One such incident allegedly occurred uh, uh, at Malmstrom Air Force Base, in which 10 of our nuclear ICBMs were rendered inoperable. At the same time, a glowing red orb was observed overhead. I'm not commenting on the accuracy of this. I'm simply asking you whether you're aware of it and whether you have any comment on the accuracy of that
3: report. Let me pass that to Mr. Bray, you've been looking at UAPs over the last Uh, three years. That data
2: is not uh, within the holdings of the UAP task force. Okay, but are you aware of the the report or that the data exists somewhere? I, I uh, I have heard stories, I have not seen the official data on that. So you've just seen informal stories, no official assessment, that you've done or exists within DOD that you're aware of uh, regarding the Malmstrom incident? Uh, all I can speak to is you know what's within my cognizance of the UAP task force and we have not looked at that incident. Well I would say I mean, it's a pretty high profile incident. Uh, I, I don't claim to be an expert on this but that's out there in the ether. You're, you're the guys investigating it. I mean, if, who else is doing it?
3: If something was officially brought to our attention, we would look at it. Uh, there are many things that are out there in the ether that aren't officially brought to our attention. So how would it
2: have to be officially brought to your attention? You I'm official. bringing it to your attention. Sure. No. This is pretty official.
3: Sure. So we'll go back and take a look at it, but generally there is some um, authoritative figure that says there is an incident that occurred. We'd like you to look at this. Uh, but in terms of just tracking what may be in the media that says that something occurred at this time, at this place, um, there are probably a, a lot of leads that we would have to follow up on. I don't think we have a to do that right now.
2: Well, I don't claim to be an authoritative figure, but for what it's worth, I would like you to look in, into it. And, sure. If for another reason, you could dismiss it and say this is not worth wasting resources on. Do. Um, and then finally, are, are you aware of a document that appeared around uh, 2019, uh, sometimes called the Admiral Wilson Memo or EW Notes Memo? I am, I am, I am not. You're not? Are you trying to, I'm, I'm not personally aware of that. Yeah. Okay. Uh, This is a document in which, again, I'm not commenting on the veracity. Uh, I was hoping you would help me with that, in which the former uh, head of DIA claims Mm -hmm. to have had a conversation with the Dr. Eric Wilson uh, and claims to have uh, sort of been made aware of certain um, contractors or or DOD programs um, that he tried to get uh, fuller access to and was denied uh, access to, Um, so you're not aware of, uh, of that.
3: I'm not aware, Congressman.
2: Uh, In my 10 seconds remaining, then, I, I guess I just would ask Mr. Chairman unanimous consent to enter that memo into the record. Without objection. Thank you, Mr. Chairman. Appreciate it.
0: So Mike Gallagher has that memo entered into the record. As of the time I recorded this on Thursday night, Congress has still not updated their website to include that memo. So it is still not available to me. I looked it up on the internet and I found what purported to be a version of the memo. This is a 15-page document that is alleged to have been found in the personal records of Edgar Mitchell, who was a NASA astronaut very interested in UFOs and paranormal phenomena. The memo appears to be records of a conversation or series of conversations that took place between Eric Davis, a government contractor, and engineer, and Admiral Wilson, who was a director of the Defense Intelligence Agency from 1999 to 2020, excuse me, 2002. Wilson, in the memo, says that he found a black box Pentagon program that is reverse engineering an alien spacecraft. He tried to gain oversight of the program because he was higher rank than all the people who ran it. They denied him the right to oversee the program, saying that we are a special program that only answers to people on a pre-approved list, and you are not on the list. He continued to threaten, and then his superiors came down on him and said, if you keep this up, we are going to demote you. You're going to lose a star before you retire. I cannot substantiate this memo. I want to say some things about it. No one involved in the memo can substantiate it. Edgar Mitchell is unfortunately deceased at this time. Admiral Wilson will not authenticate the memo, and neither will Eric Davis. So this is a piece of UFO apocrypha. A sort of uh, dubious document that's been floating around and nobody really knows what to make of it. So um, it's, it was, I thought, striking that Representative Mike Gallagher would bring it up because he has quite the background. He went to Princeton. He got a degree from the National Intelligence University, which is a military program, Military Intelligence uh, University. He also got a Ph.D. from Princeton and he's worked in the intelligence community himself. He's a United States Marine Corps intelligence officer. He served for seven years on active duty and was tri- twice deployed to Iraq. He also served on the general on General Petraeus's CENTCOM assessment team as a commander of intelligence. So um, I just feel like this Gallagher guy has got to be a fairly sharp cookie. It seemed really strange to me that somebody as sharp as him would start ranting about a unsubstantiated piece of UFO apocrypha unless he had some reason to do so and I think that that ties into that first question he was asking where he was saying do you know of any programs before Blue Book do you know of any programs after Blue Book and before ATIP he was really trying to get those guys to go on the record as saying they don't know about any other programs and um, so it seems to me like Malik Gallagher is somebody to watch if you're interested in UFO news and he's somebody who seems to be pushing to get some of this, uh, at least to get us squared away about what some of this some of these claims about black box Pentagon programs that, you know, are back engineering crashed alien spacecraft, trying to get that information out in the public. Or at least, you know, disconfirm it. And that's related to that other thing he brought up, which was the uh, Maelstrom Air Force Base Incident. To my knowledge, that incident came to the public's attention through a book by Robert L. Hastings, UFOs and Nukes, Extraordinary Encounters at Nuclear Weapon Sites. His book, published in 2008, details allegations that UFOs are especially interested in and able to interfere with the operation of our nuclear and thermonuclear devices. So I thought it was interesting to see Mike Gallagher, representative from Wisconsin who by all accounts appears to be a sharp guy, putting, really sticking his neck out there. He's already been lambasted in Politico. Their article published yesterday is titled, A Glowing Red Orb, Wild UFO Theories Move from the Shadows to Congress. And they report that they spoke to Mike Gallagher, who told them he pressed Pentagon officials on certain unproven claims in order to help move past them. So not sure what's going on with that, and I will continue to follow that story as it develops. Let me just say, final assessment that I took from this meeting, I don't think we'll be getting the full story from the Department of Defense anytime soon. It sounds like they have a lot that they're dealing with. They seem to be a little overwhelmed by all the data they have. They're trying to develop methods for processing that data, turn it into a more scientific and engineering-oriented process, but it's not clear that they know how to do that or that they have a plan for doing it. Uh, I also think that um, they are going to be highly motivated to be very narrow in what they look at. So if you're hoping that they're going to go dig up the story on Roswell or Area 51, I suspect they are going to intentionally circumscribe their research so that they avoid any of that digging into the past? And there are good reasons for that. There's a lot of good data coming out of the sky right now. Why not turn to the fresh data and analyze that rather than go dig up stories from the past and try to do the detective work? I think there's a lot of people who can do that detective work. And uh, these military guys who have access to classified data and the best sensor systems in the world, they can spend their time more efficiently on new information. The whole mindset that many of us in the UFO world have of disclosure and hoping for disclosure, I think it's a little misguided. I like the idea of completely parallel research programs into the UFO phenomena that take completely different tracks, different methods, and different assumptions. So we have the military doing their secret research we know we have this Galileo project associated with Avial Loeb at Harvard, and they have taken private money, and they're doing—they're looking at publicly available data to find uh, UAPe and um, techno signatures in our solar system. And then you know we've got the Mutual UFO Network has been around for decades, and that's a civilian volunteer project that just collects people's reports about encounters with UFOs. There's also this international project Skyhub, where scientists are making publicly available plans to build your own uh, UAP-detecting camera, which then can be networked to their cloud and automatically share what data it finds. So there's a lot of opportunities for new discoveries to come out, and there's a lot of different research tracks that anyone who wants to know more about UFOs can get involved in. I don't think we need to be like like gerbils or hamsters in a cage squeaking for the government to hand us some secret tantalizing piece of information. We can go out and we can get it ourselves. And I encourage you, if you're interested in UFOs and alien visitation, to consider doing just that. And in the meantime, we will still be here at the Spectral Skull Session. Until next time. Stay strange and stay sane.